0: All right. Wow, we're fired up. Okay, kids, you are welcome to head on down with Miss Molly right down front here. How many of you knew that she was such a fabulous singer? Molly is uh, what we call in the entertainment industry a triple threat. She's got the voice. Uh, She's got the acting chops, right? Dr. Molecule. And she's a great dancer. Although our girls don't let her dance because they're really embarrassed whenever she does. But all right, guys. See you later. Have fun. So um, last week, We started off with uh, our study of King David. Um, I was kind of going back through the Bible just to confirm this, but there's only one David in Scripture. Did you know that? So if you're ever thinking, well, I wonder if that was the same David that did this or the king here or that fought that, it's the same David. In fact, his name appears over a thousand times in the Bible. That is one person, his name appears a thousand times in the Bible. Only uh, two other people have uh, that kind of recognition, Jesus and God, <laughs> okay? So he's a pretty important figure. Now, uh, last week where we began was um, the fact that he overcame the giant of his past, okay? His past was shameful, um, his genealogy was, was not anything that uh, he was uh, bragging about. Um, he had been uh, labeled by his own family as being insignificant and unimportant and would never amount to anything. Um, and yet, because, maybe because of that, but uh, in spite of that, he drove his heart towards a relationship with God. And when God saw that he was a man after his heart, then God chose to uh, designate him as the king of Israel, anointed him and blessed him and filled him with his spirit. And from that moment forward, okay, the confirmation of, of the reality, God has chosen me regardless of my past to use me for the future. How many of you can already get behind a message like that? That, that's the gospel, right? That God can and will and wants to use you in spite of your past to apply his grace to you to give you a hope and a future and a purpose. Now, the very next thing is what we're going to deal with this morning, which is the fact that he's going to have an opportunity to put his faith into action. This experience that he's had with God, uh, he's going to have to now... Um, do something, and he's going to fight a real-life, physical giant. Now, here's the thing that, you know, as we step back from that for a moment, we're we're going to have to consider, is that Goliath represents um, a physical danger, but what he really represents is fear. And I can say that pretty confidently because Uh, As we go through the story, we'll go through the the story in in some detail, we're going to see that the entire Israelite army is terrified, they are paralyzed, and David alone, out of everyone, is the one who uh, is not fearful, and he's willing to fight. Anxiety and fear are not necessarily the same thing, but they are related. And scripture says that we are not to fear. Okay, 365 times the Bible says fear not, right? A couple of times in the New Testament, it says do not worry. Jesus says do not worry about your life, about your possessions, about what you'll do and all those things, what you're going to eat, where you're going to go. Don't worry about that stuff. Um, And then what we're going to view our story of David and Goliath through is a command that is also a promise in Philippians that tells us that we are not to be anxious about anything. And here's the the reality, okay? God does not want you to be fearful or anxious. Would you agree? Pretty obvious. Scripture pretty well declares that. Um, Now, if I just say, hey... Don't be anxious. Does that help you? Anybody like, oh, okay. Oh, finally, somebody told me not to be anxious. I'm I'm all good now. But here's the thing is that Scripture says don't be anxious, and then it tells us exactly how not to be anxious. And we're going to dive into that. But as we read um, the story of David and Goliath, we're going to view it through the command and the protocol of how this works. So let's stand as we read God's word. We're going to be in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 briefly, and then we're going to jump into 1 Samuel after after we read the scripture here. But this is what the command and the promise is. It says, do not be anxious about what? Anything. Anything. Okay, that's pretty all-inclusive, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So what's the protocol? If you're anxious, pray. And here's the promise, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, and oftentimes it will be beyond your understanding. My circumstance uh, may not relate to the peace that I feel. I'm, I look at the reality around me and I, I have a lot, to be, a lot to be anxious about or fearful of, yet there's a peace that can surpass any kind of understanding. It says the peace of God surpasses all understanding. Will guard your hearts, which means yourself and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Father, we thank you that uh, you didn't just tell us not to be anxious, Lord, you gave us the, the way. And it's a path that leads to you, to who you are. Um, the fact that uh, you are a God who is over all, above all, beyond all, Lord, that you are more powerful uh, than anything uh, that we face, Lord. We, we look at our circumstances and they may be overwhelming, but they're not overwhelming to you. God, you are a God who is in control. You can handle anything Uh, that we face. And Lord, you have promised that you would. Our job, our goal in life is simply to bring those things to you, to let your spirit empower us, to guide and direct us into your will, to be faithful, to trust, and to act. Lord, we pray that uh, you would continue to inspire us to greater things, Lord, to believe that you are still doing great things in this world. Even, even as we look around and see it's dark, Lord, we know that the light is still shining. It's shining because it shines through Christ into our hearts and reflected into this world. Father, we pray, uh, help us to shine brighter for your glory, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, you can turn over to First Samuel chapter seventeen, and we're going to go through this story. Now, the story is very familiar, and so what we want to do is we want to dive into different elements of the story, and then we're going to just talk about some of the uh, the descriptions, and then apply it to our life. What does this mean? How does it work? And so. Uh, have your Bible open in your lap and be reading through this with me. I'm in the ESV translation, starting in 17.1. It says, now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azica in Ephes Damim. Um, and if somebody were to read that in Sunday school, would you be a little terrified? Yeah. <laughs> okay, hooked on phonics. It. It's all you got to do. Sound it out. And, the, and so I don't know if... Here's what I'm saying. I don't know if I pronounced those things correctly at all. <laughs> Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and, and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley in between them. Now, what's happening here is that at this point, they both have high ground. Now, If you know anything about military strategy, which I don't really, but what I hear is that you want the high ground, okay? Nobody wants to give up the high ground to go to the low ground to be the one person that's now going to be at a disadvantage. But the reality here is that uh, the Philistines uh, live to the east, and there's a valley that connects their property uh, where they occupy with... the the land of Judah and Bethlehem and Jerusalem, okay, this Valley of Elah. And so they want control of that so that they can begin to control the rest of Israel. And why that's somewhat important is because Bethlehem means the house of bread. It's a very productive agricultural area and they want control of it. And Israel obviously wants to make sure they don't lose control of it. So that's what's happening here. And then verse four, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines, a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span, which means he was about nine and a half feet tall. Okay. So just slightly taller than Troy. (laughs) No, quite a bit taller than Troy. He had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, which I think, if memory serves, is like 120 pounds. Okay, It's, it's probably about, about as much as David weighs at this point. That's his armor. And he had, a bronze, uh, he had bronze armor on his legs, a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, like 9, 10 feet tall here. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, which is like 16 pounds. So uh, I have a 16-pound bowling ball uh, that I haven't used in a long time. But it's, can you imagine, a pole 10 feet tall with 16 pounds on the end of it. And you're wielding this thing and throwing it with accuracy. Uh, That's the kind of scary person that, that we're dealing with. His shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Now, that was a typical... Practice. If you, you're at a stalemate, then you just send your best fighter, they send their best fighter, and it's a fight to the death. Whoever wins, wins it all. So it was not unusual at all for that kind of uh, challenge to be made. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together when when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, um, here's the thing. We oftentimes will criticize uh, Saul and the army of Israel because they're afraid. Because they, we assume that, uh, that they couldn't possibly be defeated right? They're, this is the army of God. This is this is Israel. So God is with them and, and they should have no problem defeating any enemy, no matter how threatening or powerful or, or mighty they may seem, right? And we, we think, well, they're just being cowards. But the reality is that Israel's history was they were conquered by uh, nation after nation after nation and oppressed and ruled over repeatedly time and time and time and time again. If you go back and you read Judges, which is, you know, just before the book of 1 Samuel, this is their history. They have reason to be afraid. Okay, would you would you agree they have reason to be afraid? Because not only have they experienced this kind of thing before, but the reality of what they probably are Hearing, There's some whispers in the camp. The soldiers are hearing this from each other. Um, Samuel has told Saul that God has rejected him as king. And they know that the Holy Spirit, Saul, that Saul is no longer being led by the Holy Spirit. Saul is not empowered by the Holy Spirit. He is fake He is jealous. He is concerned that he's losing some standing with his guys. And, and so they realize that we no longer have the the power. We no longer have the favor. We no longer have the blessing. So the, the truth is they really could be defeated. This giant might be the tipping point for this generation to go from free to slave. It's a real threat. Now, what we understand about Um, real circumstances, real threats, real anxiety, real fear, is that God is going to use that sense of fear or anxiety to drive us, not to hide, but into a relationship with himself. He is calling and compelling his people to renew their relationship, to Seek him, to pray, to ask him for help. To God, is there anything that we're doing that is sinful and wrong that you want to convict our hearts of and and help us to repent so that we can be right with you and we will be restored? They had all the law at this point, they have all the the sacrificial uh, protocols, they had everything they needed to be restored into a right relationship with God. All they had to do was go to him and ask and seek his face and seek his favor. And instead, what they're doing is they're hiding. And oftentimes, when our circumstance uh, leads us to be anxious and fearful, um, our response is to uh, hide instead of to seek God. Would you agree? We, we just wish that the circumstance would be taken care of. Um, we, we just want that problem to go away, that, that, that issue that we're dealing with, whether it's a health issue a relationship problem, a, a, a job issue, a concern that's weighing on us. It could, be, it could be just nothing at all. God, just remove this feeling from me. And we're, we're not really seeking the Lord, and we're just seeking for this situation to change. But the, the truth of Scripture is that regardless of the situation, that God can bring peace. In fact, um, here's my belief my opinion, um, no matter what your circumstance, your quality of life is determined by your peace. Your quality of life, life is, is determined by your peace, not your circumstances. How many of us um, could testify that uh, we have, a, have it pretty good? Financially, health, um, opportunities, um, household safety, security, cars, houses, whatever. I mean, we just we look at your life, you say, I, I mean, I I have it pretty good, and yet are still struggling, if not overwhelmed by anxiety. And doesn't matter how good your life looks from the outside, or even from your own perspective, with Without peace, you cannot enjoy it. You can't enjoy it. It's overwhelming. Life is miserable when you don't have peace. How many times have you and I been in a situation where the world would look at it and say, I can't imagine having to go through that. I mean, I've, I've heard story after story after story um, of, of situations that the world would say, if I had to go through that, I'd, I'd lose my mind. And, and yet, so many believers go through turmoil, uh, uncertainty, and, you know, somebody just told me about a situation they went through just this morning, after the 8 o'clock service, they said, when my dad was struggling with cancer and we thought that he was going to die, and the, the story is that he did die, okay, we went through the situation with peace, And the world would look at that and say, well, how could you possibly have peace about that? And the answer is, it's supernatural. And there's a quality of life that we can have with God that you cannot have without him. And so often, we think that our quality of life is going to be determined by the things that we have. Okay, so prayer, seeking, that's the moral of the story. They're not doing it. Here's what happens. Um, we're going to skip over a few little paragraphs here, um, and let me sum this up really quickly. Um, how many of you know that I can't sum up anything very quickly? <laughs> but here's the thing. I'll try um, David has three brothers, and they're serving in the military with Saul. Uh, we're going to skip over the details of that. But, but what happens is that because of that information, we can potentially kind of um, come to a basic idea of maybe, see how qualified this is, uh, of how old David might be. Okay? Uh, so you have to be 20 years old or older to serve in the military. Okay, that was the the law of the, of the Jewish people. Um, so David is the eighth born son. There are three of the oldest that are serving in the military. So what we know is that those three for sure are over 20 years old. What we don't know is were uh, the other brothers in between David and those three, uh, were they old enough to serve or not? Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. Let's assume that they were not. So if, in, you know, good ancient fashion, you're having a baby every year, like clockwork, because that's just kind of what you do, Um, then we're going to say that David's about five years younger from that third oldest son. You follow me? So if he's 20, then David is how old? 15. Maybe-ish. We don't know for sure. But that's where sometimes we get this idea that David's really kind of this young kid. Some people have said he's like 12 or 13 when he fights Goliath. Anybody heard that before? Um, I I would say that there's a lot of things being implied here, but uh, my sense and, and you take this or leave it, but I, my sense is that David is not 20. Okay, he's not old enough to serve in the military, but he's probably not 12 or 13. He's he's probably probably 18 or 19. He's almost old enough to serve in the military, but not quite he, but he's full grown. Like he's he's got you know the the stature and the the build and everything that he's kind of going to have. He's going to fill it out a little bit more, but he's he's not like a kid. That's my sense. Take it or leave it. Okay. So, verse nineteen says, "Now Saul and they, meaning David's brothers and all the men of Israel, were in the valley of Elah." Fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the provisions and went. Jesse had commanded him. So his dad wants to know what's going on in the military uh, with those sons that are going uh, serving. So he's sending David back and forth with some supplies. Uh, And so uh, he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. "'David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, ran to the ranks, and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid.' "'And the men of Israel said, "'Have you seen this man who has come up? "'Surely he has come up to defy Israel.'" And the king will enrich the man. So they want to bribe somebody to to fight him. Uh, "'The king will enrich the man who kills him "'with great riches, will give him his daughter "'and make his uh, father's house free in Israel.'" So you get to be the king's son-in-law, which your royalty, possibly you could become king someday under that kind of arrangement and your dad's household will be free from taxes. Sound good? will sign up for no taxes? Everybody's telling me what their new assessment is on their property taxes. <laughs> no taxes sounds pretty good. Okay, David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine takes away the approach? Well, didn't they just tell you, David, this is... Well, here's what he's doing. He's confirming a rumor. There's people talking all over. Well, this is what's going to happen. This is what will be done. This is what you'll get. He wants to confirm and make sure like he's not mishearing something. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answer him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now, here's what's happening. Um... If you've heard the story of David and Goliath before, I'm going to assume that you've been told, maybe even by myself at some point in the past, that this was Saul's responsibility to fight Goliath. Have you heard that? No. Okay. A lot of the time, this is what people will talk about, is the the fact that Saul is shirking his duty. He is the king. He is the tallest, the biggest and the strongest and the most valiant warrior of the army. He's the one. He should be Israel's champion. He should go down and fight Goliath. But here's the thing that I want to tell you is that I don't believe that this is the case, okay? What we know is that Saul has been rejected as king. God has removed his Holy Spirit from him. So Saul should not fight Goliath. He has no power to do that. And not only that, David has been anointed as king of Israel. He is the true and the right king of Israel, right? And empowered by the Holy Spirit. At the end of chapter uh, 16, or in chapter 16, David was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, which compels people to do things that they cannot do otherwise. And it was his responsibility to fight Goliath. And he knew that. I think David understood somehow inherently, that he was the rightful king. He was the one who was supposed to go and kill this giant. And here's what we understand is that as David has this confirmation in chapter 16, he has to have a, I don't want to say a test, but a lot of times there is a test that comes after you come to know Jesus. When you've stepped into faith and you have had a, a, a significant um, experience with God in, in your life, I'm going to say most of the time, but it's probably almost always, there will be a time of testing, a challenge. Um, it can be something that is a, a good thing um, that's going to confirm your faith, but a lot of times it's a, a struggle, something that, that's going to happen that's going to put your, te- your faith to the test. Uh, and, and for the new believer it, it can be overwhelming like i 've i 've finally you know submitted my life to the Lord and accepted Jesus as my lord and savior and and everything should be good now, but the very next thing that happens is is probably you know something bad, something challenging, something hard something that that begins to you know fill your heart with with a, a fear depression anxiety uh questions um anybody been there? A few? Uh, It's just that sense of, God, I thought once I gave you my life that everything was just going to be smooth sailing. Uh, How many of you know that the Bible uh, does not tell you that? (laughs) When you put your life in God's hands, yes, he is with you and he will give you strength, but he doesn't promise you an easy life. Um, In fact, what you have done is you have now put yourself at odds with the world and with your enemy, the devil. And whatever is going to happen next is probably going to be difficult. But as you trust the Lord and as you continue to, to dwell in that, that relationship, what's going to happen is through the difficulty of that experience, your faith will grow. It will become more confirmed, more certain, more sure. You're going to believe that the experience I had with God was real. And here's why it's real, because I know from that very next event in my life that God showed up. So this is what's happening for David. He is beginning to see, okay, I have the Holy Spirit now. Now here's what I got to do with it. I got to put my faith into action. Now, uh, a week and a half ago, Life Action uh, was here. We had some great meetings. Uh, we had some wonderful uh, worship services. We had some people uh, confirm you know, some things with the Lord um, and... Crush some styrofoam cups that represented idols in our lives, and stand up and say, "God, yes, whatever you want, I'm I'm ready." And and then here we are, a week and a half later, and uh, I'm assuming that because I know for for a fact for me that that was a truly inspiring time and and, and a refreshing time with the Lord, and that He showed up in wonderful ways that it's very likely that a lot of people are experiencing a little bit of a, a vacuum right now. Is that true for anybody? No? Okay, good. Just Mike. Mike, come and see me after the service you and I can talk for a while. But th- this is the, the reality, that it's not just when you come to know Jesus for the first time, it's every time. It's every time that you have a wonderful experience with the Lord, um, there seems to be this this crash almost. Like now that uh, the wonderful mountaintop experience is over, I got to live in day-to-day life. And uh, it may be hard and I might have to, uh, you know, really pursue the Lord even more than I was the week before. Before it was kind of easy because we're just like, hey, show up every night. We're going to have a great time, right? Now it's up to you. Now you... All David does, did at first was he just showed up and somebody anointed him and the Holy Spirit fell on him. Now he's got to go and he's got to put his faith into action and say, I'm going to go fight that giant. And, and in your life, this is what's going to happen is that whenever you're experiencing that that sense that I need God, it's God calling you to trust him more. And when you do, you're going to see some great things happen. I, so here's what happens. I'm um, going to skip down to verse uh, 31. It says, When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. So David's saying, I'm going to go fight this guy, right? So that's getting back to Saul. Uh, he sent for him. David said to Saul, let, let no man's heart fail because of him, this giant. Uh, Your servant will go and he'll fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, "You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, uh, which is a, just a very generic term for he's just not he's not uh, twenty years old yet, uh, and he has been a man of war from his youth. So since the time he was your age, he's been in battle, and, and he's got some experience. Uh, but David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep with his father or for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear." Uh, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him, struck him, uh, and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Now, just picture this for a minute, okay? Um, A bear or a lion, which were prevalent through Israel at this time. And David, he's he's a a very skilled slingshot thrower, okay? He strikes the lion or the bear, and it stuns this lion or bear, and this has happened on several occasions, and David runs up to it, and the, the animal starts coming to and starts to attack David, and he stabs the thing in the heart and kills it with his bare hands. Okay, is that, I mean, if, if it were me, I want to shoot it a few times from a a fair distance, and then go approach. But this is his experience. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and the uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this, this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. And here's all we need to say about this your experience with God in the past should encourage and inspire you to trust God in the future. Okay? This is all David is basically saying. I know from experience God has been with me. I I have many stories of how God was with me, protected me, helped me, inspired me, strengthened me. Why would I doubt him in the future? He, he will be with me in the future just like he was with me in the past. And this is what, you know, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling desperate, if you're feeling despair, you just go back and you remember how God was with you before. Remember and recall. This is what Israel does throughout the Bible. This is what scripture reminds us of over and over and over and over and over again is how God was faithful how God was with them, how God delivered them, how God protected them, how God has been guiding them. And they just would recall the past over and over again. God will do the same thing in the future. He will be with us. If I will seek him, he will be with me. If I will trust him, he will never fail me. Amen? You have, you have stories. We all have stories of how God has been with us, how he's showed up in, in miraculous ways in our life that we, we could not have have ever doubted that it was God. Amen? Just recall that. Just reminisce over that. It will inspire you. So, verse 40, says, Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. Again, David um, is hated because he is pretty. And um, I know I, I mean, I hear this that women like tall guys. Is that true? Yeah. Yes. So but there's a There's a point, though, right? Nine and a half feet tall. Any ladies like, yeah, I think I'd like to date a guy like that. He's four feet taller than you. No? Probably not. So here's what I think. Um, I think it was important for me to find a short wife. <laughs> uh, don't repeat that. And, but I think that Goliath hates David because he is pretty and Goliath is ugly. Now, he's ugly not just on the outside. I think he's ugly on the inside. This is a point that I, I did not intend to make. <laughs> but I, I, I believe this is important. When you have the peace of God in your life and you're following the Lord, there will be people who are ugly on the inside who, who hate you for it. For no other reason. That you have joy and you have peace and they don't like that. They want you as miserable as they are. Um, So don't let that get you down. The Philistine, verse 43, said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Now... It sounds like David is so outmatched. You have this giant and he's got all this equipment and the spear and the sword and all this stuff. And here's David. He's got no armor. All he's got is a stick and a sling. And Goliath thinks that David has come to a sword fight with a stick. That's what he says. You just, you're coming at me with a, a staff? So Goliath thinks that David's bringing a stick to a sword fight, but in reality, uh, Goliath has brought a knife to a gunfight, okay? David is an expert marksman. He is a sharpshooter. He is a sniper, and he is going to kill Goliath from a distance, safely. He's not going to fight fair, and that's okay. And here's what we have to understand is that you have an enemy and if you were just to go one-on-one with this enemy, okay, you'd be no match, okay? You're you're no match for Satan. He's been around a lot longer than you. He's a lot smarter than you. He's a lot more powerful than you. He knows your weaknesses better than you do, okay? You can't fight him on your own strength. But the Holy Spirit of God in you is so much more powerful than your enemy that it is an absolute certainty that you can and should and will prevail against your enemy. There is no doubt. It's like bringing a gun to a knife fight. God is more powerful than any circumstance that that you face. So whatever your issue is, whatever sin that so easily entangles, whatever problem that whatever circumstance you're, you're overwhelmed by, you got to understand it's not you facing that circumstance. It is God in you who is bigger than whatever it is that you're dealing with. He lives in you. He, he has promised you to be with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He, he has a plan and a purpose for you. And it does not necessarily mean that life's going to work out the way that you want it to. But what it does mean that it will work out the way God wants it to in your life. But you've got to trust him in that. And you've got to fight with the power that he's given to you. Amen? So the conclusion of this thing is, in verse 55, it says, As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him, brought him before Saul with the dead, with the, (laughs) I love this, brings David before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand, his big old head dripping gore all over the place. Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, what's happening here is not that there's confusion about who David's dad is or that they don't know who he is. The issue here is confirmation. In chapter 16, we saw David is the son of Jesse. David has been anointed king. David has been given the power of the Holy Spirit. David is the rightful king of Israel. In chapter 17, what we're seeing at the conclusion is that God is confirming, it's the very same person that God is telling David and telling the world, this is the identity of your, not just giant slayer, but the deliverer of Israel. And he will be like the Messiah to come. Amen? That's who he is. This is why this is such an important story in David's life, because it confirms his identity. He has conquered the fear of whatever may happen. And we're going to see some things in David's life that are challenging situations. but He never doubts that he is God's anointed. And listen, if you know Jesus Christ, if you have received him as your Lord and Savior, then the Bible says that you are an heir of the kingdom, that you are a child of God, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that you are a new creation in Christ. Amen? That's that's your identity. We look at the world, and, and yeah, there's some stuff going on that's difficult, causes anxiety and fear, but we have a God. Who is bigger than that? And we have an identity that secures our place in his plan. So the question is, what are you afraid of? Amen? Father, we love you and we thank you and we praise you, God, that you are (laughs) such a great God, such a gracious God, that you would invite us, each and every one, to be part of your kingdom. Not just part of your kingdom, but to be heirs of your kingdom, that we can inherit eternal life and glory forever. We can have peace no matter what we go through. I am convinced, Lord, that it is one of the greatest gifts that you give. First of all, forgiveness, salvation, and secondly, peace. Gives us quality of life, gives us a sense of of enjoyment and joy that this world does not offer. I thank you that it is not determined by circumstances. It's determined by our closeness to you. And so my prayer, Lord, is that you would draw each and every one close to you. Help us not to um, draw away, help us not to dismiss or reject or ignore your call, but to respond to it today in faith, Lord, openly receive all that you have to offer and come close. And we give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you this morning, especially if you struggle with anxiety or fear, but to everyone, um, the Lord is calling you. And maybe He's calling you for the first time. Maybe this is the first time you've recognized that He's calling you into a relationship with Himself. Whether it's brand new, or it's the thousandth time, would you respond to him today? Would you say yes to the Lord? Amen? Amen. The altar is a place for you to do that. We're here to pray with you. Myself, prayer team, Seth, um, you may want to just grab a friend and say, would you come to the altar with me? Um, But this morning, I just invite you to let the Lord work on your heart, confirm what he's saying to you. Amen. Let's stand and sing.